Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 24. God save the Queen. Hello, and welcome to Pints with Jack. My name is David, and in today's very special episode, I am joined by Assistant Producer Marie. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, Marie also happens to be my girlfriend. And as many of you know, we went on a trip to England recently. And we thought we'd record an episode to tell you about our trip. Because not only was it delightful, and some of you might like to hear about England, we encountered quite a few things which we think might be of interest to fans of C.S. Lewis and the Inklings. So in this episode, it's going to be rather different. We'll probably take a little bit longer than normal. And if you have no care for what I do on vacation, feel free to skip this episode. But if you really like the Inklings, uh, I think there might be some stuff here you might rather enjoy. I think we should clarify for people why you called me assistant producer, Marie, and not just Marie, your girlfriend. I am an assistant producer, but, but not for you, not on your show, although that would be so fun and so challenging. Um, <laughs> but I... I produce a show called Catholic Answers Live. So that that's where I get that title and they call me that on air. It's fun. And speaking of which, uh, thanks to Stephen who sent me the email that Marie sent out to all the Radio Club listeners about her trip to England. She didn't tell me that she had written this. Um, so it's good to know that I've got spies who tell me of such things. You know, if you subscribed to Radio Club, <laughs> then maybe you would have received the email. It's okay, I forgive you. As with most episodes, we're going to begin with a quote of the week. And I thought I would begin with a quotation from Surprised by Joy, where Lewis describes his initial impression of England. No Englishman will be able to understand my first impression of England. I found myself in a world to which I reacted with immediate hatred. The flats of Lancashire in the early morning are, in reality, a dismal sight. The strange English accents with which I was surrounded seemed like the voices of demons. But what was worse was the English landscape from Fleetwood to Euston. The flatness, the interminableness, the miles and miles of featureless land shutting one in from the sea, imprisoning, suffocating. Everything was wrong. Wooden fences instead of stone walls and hedges. Red brick farmhouses instead of white cottages. The fields too big, haystacks the wrong shape. I have made up my quarrel since, but at that moment, I conceived a hatred for England, which took many years to heal. <laughs> so, hopefully Marie's first impression of England was a little better than that. As always, not only do we have a quote of the week, but we have a drink of the week. And this is a drink of the week that I have been waiting for patiently for months. So, to give you a little bit of background... Last year, I went to a conference and met Andrew Lazo, and they had a general Q&A about Lewis, and I asked the question that has been on my mind ever since we started this podcast, and that was, what did Lewis drink? And specifically, what was his favorite scotch? And during that Q&A time, Andrew read an email that he received from Walter Hooper, Lewis's secretary, and he said that he was once sent out to get a bottle of that 69. So I immediately started looking for this scotch and found that you couldn't really get it in the United States. So I used the opportunity of going back to England to have a case of VAT69 sent to my mother's house 
and I brought it back with me to America so that we could have a drink of it on this podcast. I'd like to interject. Certainly. As we walked into David's house, his mom's house for the first time, the first thing that happened was that he was given a box of this scotch with four bottles of scotch in it. Excessive, maybe, but probably not. He's going to share. And my mother didn't feel in the slightest bit uh, maligned by the fact that I greeted the box with, hello, beautiful. (laughs) Neither did I. (laughs) (laughs) And if anybody's going to be going to the C.S. Lewis Symposium at the end of the year, I am going to be bringing a bottle of this Fat 69 with me. And Matt and I are going to have a wild party in our hotel room. So if anybody would like to come, you're going to get to try the scotch that Lewis loved. So, a little bit of background about VAT69. It's, uh, it's a blended scotch, and it was actually chosen by Sir Ernest Shackleton for his Imperial Transarctic Expedition of 1914. And he selected it for medicinal and celebratory purposes. And it was actually also the favourite scotch of another Lewis. If any of you have watched The Band of Brothers... There is a character in there called Captain Lewis Nixon, who's based on a real chap. And uh, this was his favourite scotch. So, after all of that, cheers. Cheers. Wow, that noise is so fun in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're drinking from some very nice Catholic Man Show Glencarron glasses, which have a, a, a narrow neck so you can really get your nose in there. And uh, what, are your, what are your initial thoughts on the smell? It burns. <laughs> No, it smells nice. Um, Definitely notes of honey. Yeah, it's it seems a little bit more. What's the word that aggressive? you aggressive? Yeah, a little more aggressive than mm. some that we've tried recently. Um, yeah, I'm like, not. I'm really not convinced if this is going to be very good at all because you know Lewis is drinking this post World War Two. You know, it wasn't like they had great luxuries, but uh, uh, yeah, not but, a light smell. It's, but it's liquor, so let's yes. let's taste it. And it's definitely not the morning. I actually like that. You know what? That that's very drinkable. It's got a little bit of a bite to it, but it's not like a deep burn. I I don't know. I can't describe scotch as well as you, but I I actually really like this. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm really pleased I now bought four bottles. It actually it doesn't smell like it's going to be sweet, but it it's a little bit yeah. sweet. Well then, Jack, good selection. So, um, let's tell the people about what we did. So, we left San Diego and we caught a flight directly to Heathrow, which is great because when I used to travel back home, I would have to change somewhere like Chicago or New York. Some people think it's nice to break up your journey. It just prolongs it. If you're in a big metal tube flying thousands of miles above the earth for several hours, I just think, what's a few more? Just, just, Just push through. I agree. And on our way there... I was happily surprised because, of course, we flew British Airways, which was, you know, that's David through and through. But um, Beautiful British Airlines. (laughs) And we, David had told me that um, there would be tea on board, and I got very excited about this. Um, He also got me a window seat so that I could see London when we were coming into England. In all its gray glory. (laughs) Yes. It actually wasn't gray, though, when we got there. No, we had phenomenal weather the entire time we were there. It was really like we were in San Diego. I don't think the temperature dipped below 70. Yeah. 
It was actually a little hotter than we probably would have liked a few days, but just beautiful sunny weather. Anyway, we landed in Heathrow. Uh, it was Terminal 5, which is the one with a really good luggage management system. So we literally got off the plane, picked up our bags straight away, and we then caught a bus to Reading Station. And then from there, we caught a train back to Thatcham uh, to meet my mum. Uh, and then we went back to her house for cupcakes. She actually commissioned two sets of cupcakes, ones with the Union Jack emblazoned on top and ones with a flag of some other country. I'm not really sure which. I have to say, though, on the on the travels on our way to Thatcham, I was really surprised. I, I knew what to expect, but I, I kept panicking seeing people on the other side of the road and <laughs> all of these smaller-looking buildings and homes that were beautiful red brick and lots of beautiful green countryside and it was really nice um taking public transportation to get home because it was an enjoyable ride the whole way there Mm. great views and she only screamed slightly when we were going the other way around a roundabout (laughs) i did (laughs) and then yeah the following morning it was pretty lazy you then had a an appointment at the hair salon (laughs) the reason we were heading back was my cousin was getting married so we were the following day after this day, we were going to go to the wedding. And so Marie wanted her hair nice and pretty with lots of knots and things tied in the back. <laughs> Girls, you know, you know what I wanted and, and I got what I wanted. No, we, it, it was really actually pretty fun going to get my hair done because I got to spend extra time with David's mom. But I also got to see a little bit of town life of, you know, Thatcham, which is just a few minutes away from her home. And it was really, it was really interesting because immediately we walked into the hair salon and I heard about four different accents than David and his mother have. I didn't realize that the English accent could be so varied. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd pretty much heard David's accent and maybe some other accents in movies um, like Mary Poppins. Uh, and Jason Statham. <laughs> exactly. So it was it was really fun and refreshing to hear lots of different people chatting in there and just saying things that we wouldn't say here in America. The girl who owned the salon kept saying hiya when people kept walking into her shop and that was really cute. It was actually kind of funny over the course of our time in England as we were walking around and I would hear another accent. I would ask Marie if she knew where it was from and then explain. And it was kind of, it was wonderful the fact that you looked with disdain on some of the accents and it's just like ah i have taught you well (laughs) i can tell they're uneducated (laughs) uneducated swine as david might he would never say that he would never say that an englishman only has to open his mouth and say a few words before it'll make another englishman hate him (laughs) Uh, but then we went on to have lunch at the robarge pub because we were meeting owen barfield now for those of you who don't know who owen barfield no for those of you who know who Owen Barfield is, you would say, no, that's impossible. He, he died a long time ago. Because Owen Barfield was one of the Inklings, part of the literary group that met in the Eagle and Child with C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. But it was actually Owen Barfield's grandson, who also happened to be called Owen. He sent me an email following the interview with uh, Lewis Marcos. And he reached out to me and he said that he lived in Reading and if ever I was back home, to give him a shout. So we went and had lunch together. 
And that was my first fish and chips experience in yeah. England. Real legit fish and chips. It was delicious. But Owen was also just so lovely. Mm. He fondly referred to his grandfather as grandfather. And he gave us sort of an insight into what his relationship with Owen Barfield was, which was more of a, a, a familial one. It was really a great conversation because he was also sharing with us that he's in charge of, uh, what is it called, David? The, the literary estate. Right. And so he was sharing some of his projects that um, he's doing with them currently and some of the things he has done in order to get his grandfather published. And he gave you a book. And he gave me a book. I haven't read it yet, Owen. I'm sorry. I'll make sure she does. But we had a lovely lunch with him. Uh, he affirmed our ordering of the Chronicles of Narnia, which shows him a man of distinction and clear thinking. Uh, and then we went to have a little walk by the canal and then went home just in time to get ready to go out to the theatre. When I told mum that we were definitely coming back, she uh, checked the Watermill Theatre, which is this little theatre that I have been going to my entire life. I was probably a babe in arms the first time I went. It was formerly a watermill. So it was used to grind grain, I assume. And uh, it was converted into this tiny little theatre. But we always get phenomenal plays coming through because often we'll have people perform there on their way to London, going on to the West End and having much far grander sights. And yeah, we watched The Importance of Being Earnest, which was hilarious. They did a spectacular job. The stage was tiny and it sort of, if you're from San Diego or you've been to San Diego and been to the Old Globe, this theater was better than that. I'm not comparing them. David, don't look at me with such scathing. Okay, anyway, but if you've ever been there, it's the same sort of intimate, close-knit setting, which I really liked. I would say it's even more intimate. You're right there looking down at the actors. You feel like you're a part of the play rather than just watching it. I have to go back because... People in the U.S. might not know that people live on the canals that we walked past. Mm -hmm. So when we walked past, we were walking next to the water and there were all of these really fun looking little boats and I saw laundry on several of them and it turns out that people actually live on these canals and I thought that was really cool. We also saw one that was named Arwen Star, which was pretty cool. <laughs> It's always reassuring to know that there are Tolkien nerds around. And so the next day, it was my cousin's wedding. So my sister's family came down. So you got to meet them for the first time. And then we went in convoy to Heckfield, which is where the wedding was. Uh, I had a starring role since I was doing the reading. And yeah, and then we had some phenomenal food and boogied a little. Yes. That was one of my favorite drives of the whole trip on the way over to the wedding because it was so sunny and we drove through countryside. Um, mm -hmm. When David and his family told me how long it would take us to get there, they said 30 to 40 minutes. And I just imagined how, you know, in the U.S. we would be hopping on a freeway for 20 probably minutes of that. But we were going through countryside the whole time and it was so... It was so nice to be in nature while we were, you know, not in nature, I guess, in our car traveling somewhere. I just got the best view of of um, England. 
driving along roads which are barely big enough for even a single car, let alone two. Yes, yes, exactly. So the next day was Sunday, so we went to Mass at Dowie Abbey, which was my local parish, and it was also the abbey that was attached to the school where I studied. It's a Benedictine monastery. We got to see some of the monks, one of whom was at Oxford the same time Tolkien was. Mm. Marie also got to meet the priest who baptized me, as well as my old physics teacher. Then we had a little bit of time with my family, and, uh, and then that evening we caught a train to Bath. And Marie got very excited about this because her favorite book of Jane Austen is Persuasion. <laughs> She's mostly set at Bath. I have to give some credit to my sister. My youngest sister created a, a little project. It was a basically a trailer for Persuasion, but she used some characters from our family, including our baby nephew and um, our dog. And <laughs> um, so I kept thinking of that as we were approaching Bath and it it made me extra excited to go there. And we, we stayed in a bed and breakfast along this lovely like Regency terrace. Great Pulteney. Great Pulteney Road, yeah. And the next day we went to the Jane Austen Museum. We went to the assembly rooms where I guided Marie around the rooms as fitting somebody of her social distinction. We also went to Sally Lunds. Mm. So... We were told about Sally Lunds by somebody at the wedding. Yes. Uh, she was somebody who had fled from France in um, the 17th century, 1680, I think. And she started making these buns. They're basically like a very large brioche. So it's very light um, and Delightful. deliciously sweet. Everywhere you walk in Bath makes you feel like you're in a Jane Austen novel. And by the time we went and sat down in Sally Lunds, it's this, it's this tiny little tea shop the food is delicious. The tea was wonderful. Um, and so we had been walking all day in Bath, seeing all of these buildings that I've only seen in movies, basically. And I said, we're sitting in a, a French tea shop. And one of my favorite books is The Scarlet Pimpernel. And so I thought, I've been trying to read it to David for about five months. And I said, this is a perfect time. I'll read you my favorite part. You can just relax and drink your tea. So I started reading. If you... <laughs> I looked across the table and David was asleep. <laughs> he was uh, definitely not with us anymore. So we decided uh, we were going to cave into the jet lag and take naps and then continue on our day. But it was so cool because when we did go back to our B&B, then we found out that Jane Austen had lived on our street, basically. Just at the end of the one Just that we were staying. a two-minute walk from where we were um, was, was the home that she had lived in for about five years when she was in Bath. So I was geeking out a little bit. There was also a beautiful park garden area and a poetry museum right, right across the street from there. And just to tie this all into Lewis, fun fact, Persuasion was Lewis's favorite Jane Austen novel. That made me really love Lewis. <laughs> Not that I didn't before, but... And after our nap, we went and prayed evening prayer in Bath Abbey, and then went and ate pizza that Marie really liked. It was delicious. When we walked into Bath Abbey, I was amazed at how high the ceilings were. I think I looked it up after, and it was... I mean, it's hundreds of feet tall, but the the 
art in there is incredible and the stained glass is just absolutely beautiful and as we were praying even evening prayer there um <laughs> we looked at each other and wasn't it exactly the same as or, or very similar to our liturgy of the hours oh yeah if you've ever done the catholic liturgy of the hours and you go to then even song at an anglican church it's basically indistinguishable it's a little different but not much it was actually really fun because when I used to live in Texas, I went to a parish that was a part of the ordinariate. And so... This is the Anglican ordinariate. The Anglican ordinariate. Um, so they're a part of the Catholic Church, but um, they yep. they used to be Anglican. Yeah, um, it was something that Benedict introduced to allow parishes to move en masse into the Catholic Church and still retain their Anglican patrimony and their Anglican liturgy. And if you've never experienced an ordinariate mass, I thoroughly recommend it. It's beautiful. Yes. And the parish that I went to, Our Lady of the Atonement, was the first parish that was allowed to become Catholic as a parish. So that's really cool. But if you've been to um, an ordinary mass, then you have heard that the language sounds a little bit different. It sounds a little bit British. Mm -hmm. And um, when we were praying evening prayer, I was reminded of that church that I loved so much from from Texas and so I I think I felt very at home there um every time we stopped to pray somewhere it felt very familiar um and then we got pizza yeah we went to pizza express marie was a little worried about the name express on it cuz in america it tends to denote cheap and just quick think of and... panda express that doesn't say high cuisine okay <laughs> and i'm such a foodie so i wanted good food and we had been walking all day um but david clarified for me that express in england does not mean that it's bad or that it's cheap um it just usually means that it's smaller mm -hmm. and it was really good and then we walked about a bit more, and then we got an early night. Gelato. The... Oh, that's a good point. We got some excellent gelato. And then the next day, we caught a train to Oxford, and we had a little wander around Oxford, because we couldn't get into our hotel just right away. And we went to the Eagle and Child, the famous pub of the Inklings, uh, specifically to go and toast Jack and Tollers. And it was kind of hilarious, because while I was at the bar getting our drinks... I was chatting with one of the barmen, trying to, again, find out some more specifics about what the Inklings might have drunk. And uh, as I was going back to our table, somebody said, excuse me, are you David Bates? I thought this is amazing. This I is just lost all it. Of, all of my <laughs> dreams. I'm known. I just lost it because it seems like everywhere we go, somebody knows David. And so I just looked up and I said, are you kidding me? Who is? Who knows you here and i'm watching an interaction with an older guy and david chatting at the bar and then they came over and it was a very nice surprise yeah because this was william griffiths um he was the librarian at uh, the oxford oratory i think we need to rewind the clock a little bit about two weeks before we left for england uh, brandon voigt you might know him from word on fire he works with bishop baron uh, he had posted some pictures of him wearing G.K. Chesterton's glasses. Uh, and Marie had seen this and then excitedly texted me. I said, make this happen. 
you're my boyfriend you have to make this happen <laughs> it's a good thing she's not demanding <laughs> i checked i checked the location i said i saw oxford oratory and i thought is this the very same oxford that we are going to be in in two weeks and so, it was yeah so i went and went to their website couldn't see any obvious chesterton exhibition uh, but I did find an article that indicated that they had a big cache of Chesterton's effects. They had things like his glasses, his canes, uh, as well as his library. So I emailed the oratory um, and then began a, a longish back and forth with them, trying to convince them to let us come and play. No, we need this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I got to know William, the librarian, quite well over, the, over this exchange. And I had, he had agreed to show us the, the books and all of the stuff that they had. And I sent him a picture of the two of us so he'd be able to recognize us when we turned up. And he recognized us at the pub because that was the man that we met. He was there having his lunch. I just, one of the things that I loved the most about that was that his work was, you know, just a few doors down from the Eagle and Child, and he could just pop over and get a steak and ale pie when he wanted to on his lunch break. I thought that was just so fun, and he immediately sat down and started sharing his knowledge with us and bonding with David about the Camino, and, oh, um, maybe you should tell people that you've done the Camino. So I've done the Camino de Santiago. It's a walking pilgrimage from France across, all the way across Spain, took me about 36 days. Uh, but on my backpack, I carry a Camino shell, which indicates that I've walked the Camino and he saw it immediately and got very, very excited because that has a very special place in his heart because it's one of the means through which he met his wife. And it sounds like he and his wife still spend a lot of time helping, you know, basically people who are embarking on this pilgrimage and making it happen. So... He also started sharing about what he knew about Chesterton at that lunch. And I very quickly realized that the eight or ten books that I read from Chesterton really paled in comparison to what he knew. But it was such a great opportunity to learn. And I looked at David when he got up for a moment and I looked at David and I said... This is going to be really great. <laughs> I offered just to leave the two of them alone. <laughs> Felt a little bit like a third wheel, but it was okay. Uh, so after lunch, we dropped off our bags at our hotel, and then we went over to St. Aloysius, which is the church where the library is attached. And he showed us all around all the things that they had. Yeah. We also got to meet um, Father Jerome there, who is also a librarian there, and that was that was really special. Yeah, we went to Mass after we had visited the, the library, and he preached really well. Yeah. As William took us through the library and the collection, I, I kept thinking Chesterton touched most of these things, or, you know, most of these things played a part in his life. Um it was really moving to be able to look through his books and see um, all of the drawings and mm -hmm. notes that he took. Lots of swords. He was very into sword fighting. <laughs> <laughs> he is the kind of guy that I I really admire. He had such a sense of adventure and, 
you can tell even just in his personal books. I I was telling David that one of the funniest things to me was that so Chesterton wrote a book about Browning about so Browning was a poet and and Chesterton had read a lot of his poetry if not all of it and he wrote a book about him but in his personal library he had a copy of Browning's poetry it was like a, a collected works basically and that book had the most drawings of all of the other books. So it either means that he really, really liked Browning and he was inspired while he was reading it so he would draw, or it means he was really bored when he was reading <laughs> Browning. I have to think that he was inspired by him, but who knows? And but we also discovered a book by Joyce Kilmer. Listeners will recall a few episodes ago, I spoke about my friend Meg Hunter Kilmer and about how Lewis wrote to her aunts and uncles and those letters were being sold. Well, needless to say, Meg is related to Joyce Kilmer as well. And uh, many people know Joyce Kilmer from the very popular poem Trees, but there are, he has a vast amount of poetry that is more complex and I think more beautiful than trees although trees is very simple and um and well done but if you want to read some really good poetry go check out Kilmer um so Francis and Gilbert Chesterton met Kilmer in New York City when they went on on their first trip to the U.S. um and sort of forged that friendship there and then they stayed in touch they stayed um, they became good friends. I met Meg recently, and it was special meeting. I felt like I was meeting a celebrity. It's okay. <laughs> Most people feel like that when they meet Meg, regardless of whether or not they like her ancestors' poetry. And while we were there, so the library was on two levels, and so we were up in the balcony level, and I was talking to Marie, and a little earlier we had heard Father Jerome bring in two other guests. And they were looking at the things downstairs. And then this voice perked up. Is that David Bates? I just looked at David again and I said, are you kidding me? This was the second time in one day that I had heard the very same phrase. So it was Joe and Phil. And these were two guys that I knew when I lived in Cheltenham in Gloucestershire about 15 years ago. Uh, and so, yeah, Joe is at seminary, Phil tutors in Oxford. And uh, so, yeah, so we went down and had a little bit of a catch up. They were very sweet. And we were actually the ones to tell them that all of the Chesterton things were above them. But one thing that's probably worth pointing out is the most exciting thing in the library was one of Chesterton's canes, which had a sword inside. We both wielded the sword. <laughs> And after that, we went next door for Mass, which was going to be starting in about half an hour. And this is a church that houses some of the relics of Blessed Lucy of Narnia. Relics apparently brought back by Walter Hooper, who was Lewis's secretary. And we had a look around the church. It was very, very, very nice. And Marie and I were meeting back up at the back. And then the door opened and somebody came in. And I just stopped. And then quietly walked over to Marie and went... That's Walter Hooper. I said, what do you want to do? <laughs> I'll do anything. <laughs> do you want me to go get him? <laughs> do you want me to stop him? David said, no, no, no. Let's just wait and see what he does. Yeah. Play it cool, you know. 
So we we were not cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we sat a little bit behind him uh, during mass, and then as he was leaving, uh, Marie said, "Do you want to do anything?" And I just stood up and just introduced myself and thanked him for his work in keeping Jack in print and popularizing his legacy. And honestly, that was the classiest thing that we could have done (laughs) because in my mind and you guys, this is an old, old man who's walking with a cane and with somebody else helping him walk. And I'm imagining that I'm going to run down the aisle of the church and like tackle him to stop him. So my boyfriend wants to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But David just took the very classy route and shook his hand and... I, I got a picture of his head. <laughs> I'll put it up on Instagram. It's, it's a beautiful picture. I, I have to note about the church before we move on um, behind the altar. And this, this was in several churches, not just this one. But it, this was the first one that I really um, noticed it in. They have all, um, not all of, but many of the angels and saints um, as statues in a sort of arc behind the altar. That is so helpful when you're visualizing the mystical body of Christ being present together in the mass. I really, really appreciated that art. It actually helped me at the consecration to feel like heaven was coming to earth. And heaven truly came to earth afterwards when we went to dinner at the King's Arms and had another pie. (laughs) Yes. This was another Andrew Lazo recommendation. And also, all the time we're in England, whenever we're at a bar, I get to have real ale. The pies were delicious. And then we had one more day in Oxford. Uh, My mum was going to come and meet up with us later, but we began at the St. Philip's bookstore. We went in there. It's a theological bookstore. So it was full of Chesterton, full of Lewis, and there was a miracle that took place there. It was the miracle of the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, I was actually going with the miracle of the fact that neither of us bought anything. Oh, that was also a miracle. That was a great miracle. I just want to say, David rearranged the Chronicles of Narnia (laughs) to be in the order that he prefers, and, oh, I'm sorry, the correct order, and... I hope somebody noticed and appreciated that work of mercy. I'm sure they did. Oh, they might. They may never appreciate it. But maybe years from now, somebody will be reading the Chronicles of Narnia to their children and ignoring the numbers that were on the spines and just simply pulling them out of the, of the box in the order that I placed them. And then that child gets to experience the Chronicles of Narnia, how they're meant to be experienced. You know, am I, am I a hero? I mean... <laughs> Who can say? No. (laughs) I'm just happy if anybody tells me that they're reading anything from Lewis. Mm. I get excited when I hear somebody say, I'm reading my first book from Lewis. I say, don't start with Surprise by Joy, okay? Just be nice to yourself. Bit of a tough one. Uh, Now, one of the things that we had toyed with doing was doing a walking tour. Because in Oxford, there are quite a lot of walking tours to do with Tolkien, Lewis, and the Inklings. And there was one advert that I sent to Marie. It was for a walking tour. It was two and a half hours. And it was 335 US dollars per person. What a joke. <laughs> well, the real joke was the fact that they had one of the a graphical image of Lewis with a quotation next to him. 
If any of you follow us on Instagram, you'll have seen the kinds of ones that I produce. But the, the real kicker was it was a quotation that Lewis never said. It was the, you're never too old to set a new goal or to dream a new dream. He never said that. He never said it. And these people wanted to charge us 335 US dollars to walk around Oxford and tell us about Lewis. Also, there were at least five misspelled words on the page. And I just, if I'm going to pay you any money, I want perfect spelling and grammar. Perfect. You can see why Marie and I are together. Uh, and I, I actually said, for $335, what would I want? I would want to spend the night in Lewis's house, the kilns. I would want breakfast in bed. And I would want somebody to read to me while I was drinking my tea and eating my toast. Maybe one of the Chronicles of Narnia, maybe the Space Trilogy, or one of his short essays. Needless to say, they didn't agree to do this. No, but uh, one of the people on the C.S. Lewis forum on Facebook commented that since students stay in the kilns and they must go on vacation at some point, surely they could have like an Airbnb kind of scenario. If we figure out a way to make that happen, we'll let you guys know. Oh, I will tell the internet. I'll proclaim it from the rooftops. <laughs> Speaking of tea, tea is everything. Tea happens from the moment that you wake up till the moment that you go to bed in England. That's Just a heads up. That's because tea is magic. It knows whether you need to wake up or whether you need to go to sleep. Tea is magic. I have become addicted. Well, after we had left the bookstore, we went to another Inklings pub, the Lamb and Flag, which is across the street from the Eagle and Child. It's basically where the Inklings went when they got kicked out of the Eagle and Child because they weren't buying enough beer and they weren't getting the same preferential treatment that they did before. Uh, and then we met up with my mum and we had lunch and then we did uh, a couple of exhibits at the Bodleian Library. Uh, the If you, any of you have visited Oxford, you'll know what I mean when I talk about the heads that are around the bodily and these massive statue, statuesque heads of philosophers or Caesars. And we also saw an exhibit about the White Rose, which was an organization, a bunch of students who were resisting the Nazis in Germany. It was really inspiring to see that there was such a passionate movement during that time, because I think that that period of history can really be painted very negatively, obviously. Obviously, a lot of negative things happened at that time, but there were people who were trying to do something about it, um, and they had uh, copies of some of the propaganda that they had written. I don't even like to call it propaganda because that word has sort of a negative connotation, but... Pamphlets. Pamphlets, and they were they were really inspiring, and they were calling people to action, and it was... Really, just the they they were a model of bravery, and they described themselves as Germany's conscience. Now, as good luck would have it, the day that we were walking around Oxford, it was an open day at the university, which meant that all of the colleges were open, and so if you walked into them with sufficient boldness and with somebody that looked youthful, you could pretty much get in. So with David. <laughs> So we had a wander around Merton College, which was the college where Tolkien was. That was beautiful. Very. Oh, every, you guys, every single one of these colleges, um, kids that young don't deserve to go to them. Wasted on them. Wasted. Why? What? Youth is wasted on the young and so are these colleges. 
the lawns and the chapels and the buildings and just how everything was so floral and smelled wonderful. It was just, I was blown away by how well kept all of these campuses were. It's a completely different campus culture than what we have in the States. Uh, we also had a little wander around Christchurch Meadow, which is beautiful. Uh, and we also passed the Eastgate Hotel, which mm-hmm. is where Lewis and Joy apparently met. And then we ended our day at Magdalen College, which is where Lewis taught. And we saw the Deer Park. That with... was my favorite college. Uh, it was, it was beautiful. I do think that there's something to be said for these wide expanses of grass and plants and trees i think that sometimes um in at least in the culture here we're inside all day long in office buildings or if you're still in school you know in your classrooms and then we expect to have creativity and these great thinkers were walking you know over these beautiful grounds that people have walked for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and that's inspiring that's i can see how that would make somebody more creative is that why you were hugging the trees it was i swear i think jane austen and maybe lewis sat under the two trees that i hugged over this trip quite likely i'm hoping for it i'm from california okay yeah we don't have real trees here <laughs> just telephone poles with some leaves at the top so yeah so that was our second day in oxford and that was on the 3rd of july and then we went back home and since the previous day was the 3rd of july that meant that this was independence day Woo-woo, america so needless <laughs> to say i took marie for afternoon tea we had a little <laughs> we had a little tea party and tea was thrown in water but it was boiling water and then that boiling water was then consumed we had it at the Regency Hotel, and it was by this big glass wall where they clearly put out food for the deer. So we had some some wildlife come and say hello while we were drinking our tea. Some very chunky, very cute little deer. Yeah, they're well fed. You could tell that they throw feed out there, but I was very grateful. And then we just had a, a couple of downtime days. We watched some movies. Three Men and a Baby, because Marie likes babies. It's sequel, Three Men and a Little Lady, because it was filmed at my school. And my mother thinks that uh, Tom Selleck is kind of a dish. And uh, and naturally, we also watched some Jane Austen. We watched Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we didn't tell the people about Persuasion in Bath. <gasps> so anyone that has seen the movie Persuasion, I think it's the most recent one. It's a great movie. We must go back to this. It is the most awkward kiss at the end. Uh, the second to the last kiss is the most oh. awkward kiss that you will ever experience in your life. You will start screaming in pain for the actors. Yes, the, uh, the, the female lead has been running around Bath looking for her man. And so she's all hot and sweaty and out of breath. And then they eventually meet. And, you know, everything goes quiet and... You can see that they're staring into, into each other's eyes and she's looking up at him and her lip is quivering and they move in to kiss and, and she stay there. She stands there with her lips quivering, her face sweaty and like this 
just terrible look in her eyes. It's got to be at least 30 seconds long. It and he longer. just he just stands there impassive. He just, he's not going to move. He doesn't even move towards her a little bit. They finally kiss. And then the last kiss of the movie after they're married is very sweet. But goodness gracious, get it together, editors. See, this is why you shouldn't kiss until you're married. Because apparently, at least going into this movie, you make a real mess of it beforehand. I have no comments. <laughs> So Marie and I love that movie and I love torturing her with the video of that kiss. And so we went to a part of Bath where that kiss took place and we recreated it. Much the amusement of several passers-by. People were laughing very hard. Um, I'm not sure they got the reference, but I don't think that really mattered. You know what? We were dedicated. I didn't actually get a kiss. I just got a lot of quivering and a lot of awkwardness, but that's kind of what we went there for. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, that's my strong suit as well. <laughs> uh, and yeah, now we're pretty much at the end of our journey. We had one last day, and so I took Marie to London because I didn't feel like I could really take her to England and not really show her London. Normally, I find Americans tend to make the opposite mistake. They'll come to England and they'll spend their entire time in London and never get out of the city to see the rest of England. Uh, but we went to Paddington Station and I was horrified to find that they've moved Paddington, the bear. There was a statue of Paddington Bear. They haven't just moved him, he's gone. I, I really did want to see him in person, but he's gone. Yeah. And then we caught the subway to Notting Hill. So this is the London Underground, the Tube. And this is where a tale of deceit begins. If any of you thought that David was straightforward and honest all the time, I'm here to disillusion you. This is true. So we got out of Notting Hill and we walked down the street and I pointed where Notting Hill Market was because I'd intended to show her the Hugh Grant movie, Notting Hill, fairly soon afterwards. We have seen it. And I did really like it. I did think it was a little bit silly because Julia Roberts played a very uh, flighty character. She changes her mind. She is not, she's not honest. She cheats on her boyfriend with the main character. Everything sort of works out in the end, but I sort of feel like there but are she's some... she's pretty. That, mean, that, means, uh, that, that means you have that to That covers that. a multitude of sins. Yeah. That's what I tell myself. Yeah, prettiness covers a multitude of sins. Anyway, so we exited the Notting Hill tube station and we started walking towards Hyde Park. And we just happened to walk past St. George's Church. And I casually commented that, oh, this is where Chesterton was baptized. And actually across the street from it is uh, the water tower, which, that well, it, it's not there anymore, but it was once upon a time. And it figured in Chesterton's book, The Napoleon of Notting Hill. And I looked at David and I said, oh my goodness, we have to go inside. I didn't know he was baptized here. So we walked in. It was a really beautiful church. It reminded me of another church that we had seen in Thatcham because it seemed like the stained glass was possibly made around the same time. Mm -hmm. It was the church where my sister was married. Mm. And then after that, we then carried on our way. And we're walking down Sheffield Terrace. And if you've ever been to England, particularly London, you'll know that a lot of buildings have got these blue discs on them. And they're usually drawing your attention to the fact that somebody famous lived there at some point. So while we were on that street, I saw one of these discs and it referred to, I think, some admiral 
who had lived there, somebody famous, apparently. And so I explained the disc and that we would see these around the place. And Marie went, oh, okay, that's cool. And then we carried on walking. Okay, so about six houses down from where David had pointed out the first placard, the first historical placard on the building, we saw another one, and David, he gestured for me to read it, and I saw that it was where G.K. Chesterton was born. And I looked at him and I said, did you know? And he said, (laughs) yes, of course I knew. Now all of the anxiety about the London trip began to make sense because I mentioned the night before that we didn't have to go to London and I wouldn't mind if we skipped it if he wanted to do something else. And he looked a little agitated. And also uh, I'd found out that Pride was taking place that weekend, which meant that we wouldn't be able to get anywhere near Westminster. And one of my friends that we were meeting up with cancelled on us. All in all, things sort of looked a little bleak for a minute. And then when he looked agitated, I said, no, 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 we can go. It's okay. Let's stick to the plan. And then as I saw G.K. Chesterton's, you know, first home, I realized he had been sneakily planning these stops along the way. And that wasn't the last one. We then ended up at St. Mary Abbott's Church, which is where Chester and his wife got married. Before we got there, did we see the Carmelite yes. monastery? Mm-hmm. Along the way. That was such a nice surprise. I, Neither of us anticipated that. Neither of us knew it was there. But we saw that there was a Carmelite monastery just tucked in on the side of the street, really. And we walked inside, and they were having Eucharistic adoration. And we got to pray for 10 minutes and, and then go on our way, which always makes me feel so peaceful. And then we had a little walk through Hyde Park, uh, which is just beautiful. We then made our way to the Victoria and Albert Museum, which, how can I describe it? It's basically, it's every single Englishman that went abroad while we were still an empire stole vast amounts of stuff while they were there. It was like, cool obelisk. I think I look great at my house in England. Um, So pretty much they stole all this stuff, brought it back, and that's what populates the Victoria and Albert Museum. But we thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, sorry, I mean, we rescued lots of art from <laughs> from being destroyed by people who weren't appreciating it fully. We benefited from this crime and we saw some really incredible art in there. But the, the Victoria and Albert Museum was one of the things that I really wanted to do in London. So I was so happy that we got to go. And she bought a mug. I did buy a mug. It had them dancing on it. Because, little known fact, Victoria and Albert popularised the waltz. Because it was uh, it was a little risque at the time. Because when a man and woman danced, they weren't really meant to face each other, let alone, you know, almost touch. They were an inspiring couple. I have watched pretty much every film adaptation of their life <laughs> that I can. But um, if if you'd like to watch a movie about them, I would watch The Young Victoria. That was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Can you stop hitting the microphone? I'm sorry. You're a professional woman. You're going to leave that one in, aren't you? Probably. (laughs) And then after that, we went over to Ye Old Cheshire Cheese, which is a pub in the city. It's the, the area used to be commonly associated with journalism. And it just happened to be at the pub where G.K. Chesterton would often be found. 
And in fact, people also like Charles Dickens, any major writer in the last 300 years. And there we met up with my friend Mike. Mike and I, we used to, we didn't call it spiritual direction, we called it beer direction. About once a month, we would go to the pub and drink beer and talk about our spiritual lives and life within our respective parishes. Because when I met Mike, he was, uh, he was an office manager of an Anglican church very close to where I lived. And over the time that I knew him, he actually became a fully ordained vicar of the Church of England. So we met up with Mike and his wife, Barbara. And we had some, I'd actually say probably some of the best pub food that we had while we were in England. That was my favorite pub food. Yeah. I, that was the first time I had bangers and mash in England. I had had it in Ireland, but it was slightly different there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the place was so cavernous. It was lots of low ceilings and little enclaves and little nooks and crannies in which there was shoved a table and a couple of people could sit and have a drink. It felt very cozy Mm -hmm. and you, it was surprisingly quiet for what a large place it was. I mean, it had several rooms, but the rooms were small. So you really felt like it was just you and your friends sitting there. Yeah. And after that, we went and had a Viennese coffee with a listener, a chap called Aiden. And... That we loved Aiden. Aiden was great. Aiden was so fun to talk to. Just we, a wonderful human being. We heard a little bit of his story. We tried to sort out the Reformation. Uh, <laughs> we drank some very fine coffee. I think we we all decided that we all loved Jesus. Yeah. Which was a good place to end things. I agree. And then we made our way back home. Back to mum's. And then the following day we went to mass. We had brunch and... Then we began our return journey. And all of this was interspersed with wonderful afternoons and mornings with David's mom or David's um, sister and her family having tea, having having meals, and just getting to experience the culture that is England, um, you know, through his family. And that was such a huge blessing, I think, for both of us. What was What was the biggest culture shock and what was the thing that you liked the most that was unfamiliar to you i think the biggest culture shock was the amount of etiquette that i experienced while i was there i noticed that people asked if they could do things people were just very polite and very conscientious um i really liked that a lot um i think I appreciated the sort of ceremonial nature of meals and tea time and how it was really a way of bringing people together in the house. Maybe we were all reading separately or doing something separately and then we would all come together to have tea and a snack. And I really, when we left, I thought I really would like to bring that back home with us. That's something that I really loved. I think... That was the biggest cultural shock and and the thing that I maybe liked the most. Also, I know we were on vacation, dreamy, dreamy vacation, but it felt very slow in a lot of ways and just like we were soaking up life as it was happening and I really enjoyed that. And I've also heard you tell other Americans about English food. Actually, one of the things that I missed out, we also went to my aunt's farm and oh, they yes. have horses and uh, my cousin Nicola gave us a tour of the fields where 
uh, where, they, where they make the hay. Let's just put it this way. David's family are very gracious hosts. And David's aunt made us a cake that was amazing. I love food. I love making it and I love eating it. And I was very impressed with the food over the entire trip. There wasn't one thing that I ate that I said, oh, I really don't like this. Um, And I'm not a picky eater, but I do think I have high quality tastes. Mm -hmm. David knows I cook for him frequently. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, oh, I guess another thing that I really liked was the fact that gardens are a thing in England. It didn't matter where we went, the colleges in Oxford, someone's home, either David's mom's home or his aunt's home, the place where the wedding was held, the venue there. There were these beautifully manicured gardens with flowers and grass and trees and I loved the attention to detail of all of these gardens and the fact that it it portrays that people spend time outside taking care of these gardens. I really liked that too. And your mention of the wedding there just reminded me of something else. In the groom's speech, we got a shout out. We did. From his cousin and his girlfriend who traveled all the way from San Diego, California. And you could you could hear the ooh. <laughs> We suddenly became exotic and interesting. Now nobody would ask me if I was Meghan Markle, though. Well, people keep asking me about making America great again, and I say, <laughs> myself and Prince Harry, we, we, we have the game plan. You just you save it one lady at a time. What a beautiful way to end. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us on this slightly longer, rather different episode. I hope it was enjoyable. If any of you are heading to England, heading to Oxford, please feel free to reach out and uh, I can send you more details for anything that we did. And we'd love to see your pictures. But please join us next week when Marie won't be here, but Matt will be back and we'll be discussing the Chronicles of Narnia. This time we'll be reading Prince Caspian. And then we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers.